Welcome to the Check Your Head Podcast, the podcast where notable musicians and experts share their stories and solutions for mental health and wellness. I'm your host, Mari Fong, a music journalist and life coach for musicians, and we are in the month of October, a month full of mental health celebrations. World Mental Health Day is on October 10th, and October is also National ADHD Awareness Month, as well as National Depression and Mental Health Screening Month. And the first step in getting better is to get tested. So visit CheckYourHeadPodcast.com, where we've just added a link where you can get immediate and anonymous online screening for a variety of mental health conditions. Simply click on the Mental Health for Everyone page to find these fun, free, and informative tests. Next, I'm thrilled to announce that the Check Your Head Mental Health for Musicians podcast has won a 2021 People's Choice Podcast Award for Best Asian Hosted Podcast. I'm especially proud of this win after discovering that thousands of podcast listeners from around the world voted from a choice of 10 podcasts, with the majority choosing the Check Your Head podcast for the win. So thank you so much for that. It feels really good to know that all those late nights editing and working mostly by myself have been noticed by listeners just like you. Now to our featured guests. Today we have New Zealand's highest streaming rock band having first dropped their debut album Secrets in 2019 and just dropped the Collab Project EP last month, September 2021, which includes an initiative to normalize the conversations on mental health. And today we're going to do just that with Michael Murphy, lead singer of the rock band Written by Wolves. We'll also be playing a clip of their song, Help Me Through the Night, featuring Kellen Quinn of the band Sleeping with Sirens, a song that was inspired by Michael Murphy's own anxiety and depression. The Collab Project EP features heavy hitters like Sonny Sandoval of POD, who are also mental health advocates, all singing to normalize the conversations on mental health, as we do here on the Check Your Head podcast. Next, musician Kat Jensen and I will talk about perfectionism, a trait that Michael Murphy and other musicians can possess, and how it can work for or against you. You may remember Kat Jensen as our first musician interview on the Check Your Head podcast. She is also the lead singer of the 90s band Love Toys, having toured and worked with bands like Motley Crue, No Doubt, Don Henley of the Eagles, and the one and only Paul McCartney. Kat Jensen brings her unique perspective as a musician and also one who lives with depression, anxiety, and PTSD. But first, let's hear Michael Murphy of Written by Wolves share his story. We have Michael Murphy here, lead singer and songwriter from New Zealand, straight from New Zealand here, live. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you have the Collab Project EP that's going to drop September 17th, 2021. So I'm super excited about that. Thank you so much also for being an advocate for mental health. But I wanted to start with your single, which is Help Me Through the Night. And it features Kellen Quinn from Sleeping with Sirens. And you mentioned the black dog of anxiety in the lyrics. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, what's been your experience with anxiety or mental health in general? Yeah, I mean, that was a lyric that kind of came about with myself trying to to be more open and and as and as honest as possible with my songwriting and that particular song the, the whole idea was to to try and give the sense of of an anxiety attack in the song in in some way shape or form and we actually tried to mirror that with the video a little bit as well that particular song was an attempt for me to try and talk about not only anxiety but to try and talk about the fact that we need to start talking about these things hence the title help me through the night 
the metaphor is that depression, anxiety, and mental health issues are the, are the, are the night, essentially. It's the dark place. It's the thing that we try and hide from. And uh, sort of going back and, and, and touching more on my story, as, as far as mental health issues go, depression and anxiety is something that I've always um, dealt with and, and always uh, struggled with, I suppose. It's only really recently that I've, I've learned to, to understand that a little bit more and, and, and probably now that I can understand that, it kind of answers some questions from, from the past when you look at things that have happened and gone, okay, that's what I was going through then. That's what that was. I mean, as a musician, and, and this is what I've done all my life, I, I've always put a huge amount of scrutiny on myself and, and, and pressure on myself to be successful. But there's obviously a huge side effect to that. The more pressure you have, the the more chance that you sort of leave yourself open to things like anxiety and depression and, and I think for me it's always been a bit of a vicious cycle um the busier I get and the more worried I get about things or the more I start to see the amount of things piling up that I need to get done in in, in order to make something be successful the more anxious I become the more anxious I become that the, the more I take it out on on the people that I love the most and I might be angry or irritable or, you know, just so stressed and, and, and overwhelmed in a situation that I, that I um, become someone that I don't like. And that obviously is always reflected and it has always affects that the ones that I love the most, my, my wife and my kids and, and, and my family closest to me. When that happens, that's when the, the depression starts to happen because I hate the fact that I become like that and, and I start to feel guilty and, and, and bad that, that I'm doing that and becoming that person. And so the, the cycle just continues. And then the more you, the more I step into that, then the more behind I get, the more I, I have you know, no energy to, 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 to achieve the tasks that I have to achieve. I've recently taken a more of a management role within the band and I, I, I feel like I've got a lot of people's hopes and, and, and things riding on me to, to make right decisions and to make sure that I keep things moving. And, you know, add to that the, the pressures of, you know, of, of a family and, and trying to keep all the balls juggling in the air and trying to keep them all up in the air. You know, the, the, the more that happens, the, the more stressed I become, the more stressed I become, the more anxious I become, the more anxious I become, the more irritable I become, the more irritable I become, the more depressed I become. And it, it just, it continues and it goes round and round and round. And I, I never really envisaged that I would be able to talk about that because the more that I, the more that I talk about that and, and certainly and in times past, I would have not wanted anyone to know that I would have not wanted to share that with anyone. And it's only very recently that I've, that I've been able to do that because I've forced myself to, I suppose, because I, I thought it was weak. And I thought, you know, I, I've always had this persona of, of being in control and being really confident and being able to get things done and being able to sort of make things happen and, and be the fun guy in the process of doing it. It's, it's only recently that I've started to understand and to realize that it's not weak at all. It, it's such a normal thing. And these things are all things that we're going through. But yet we've, we've created this society that stigmatizes that stuff and doesn't allow us to, to see it as a normal thing. You know, I, if I had a broken arm, rather than any of those struggles, people would understand and they'd be able to see it. But yet it's just not seen. It's, it's invisible. It just becomes a part of you. So, you know, there's not many people out there that aren't affected by these things or aren't touched by these things. And I think that's something that we've all taken a while to realize because we're all hiding it and we've all, we've all been taught to, to keep that away and, and, and not let that out and not talk about it. So then you do have people like myself in the past 
who will find that as a weakness to be able to show it or will find that is something that they shouldn't be allowed to to share and that's just it's just this vicious never-ending cycle that we have to change and and, and break down the stigma and, and normalize Right. And, and that's that's really a key thing is to normalize the conversation, which is what we're doing right now. That's um, right. You know, one thing you said was that there was a moment where you decided to start talking about it. And sometimes there's an incident that happens or maybe an aha moment where you're like, OK, I'm going to talk about this. What was that for you? I mean, obviously, not liking the, the the person I become toward my family that that's a big that's a big part for me. I've got two young children, a, a five year old and a two year old, and I don't want to be that for them. You know, I don't want to be this person that's grumpy and irritable all the time. Um, so that's obviously been a big trigger in recent times. However, probably the biggest trigger for me to to start talking about these things and, and open up has been the fans of our band, the the fans of Written by Wolves. Um, we started receiving messages just all the time, daily almost, from people sharing their story with us and, and telling us what our music meant to them and, and what it had done to, to help them through whatever they were going through. And, and, you know, in some cases, they would suggest that it had saved their lives, which made me realize, especially once we saw more and more of them and they started to come through so thick and fast, I, I realized that I was in this incredibly lucky and pri privileged position where. I have this ability to to be able to help people through these these situations, but these were all people that were maybe sharing their story with us, but weren't able to share it with other people. You know, felt that they were they were outcast in some way because of how they felt, and I was so touched by the fact that our music had done that for them that myself and the rest of the band all decided that, that it had to be something that we had to do more of, that we had to push further on. You know, we were in this position where we could help people. So, you know, you're never doing enough. And I decided that, that it was important for me to show them that I could talk about these things too. You know, if they were brave enough to share their stories with me and, and to tell them what, what I'd managed to do for them, it was important that I was brave enough to start talking about these things. And I know when we started writing and I brought that into my songwriting and started to talk about these things a lot more, like I, I, f I feel like there were a lot of people around me that were slightly shocked, not because of the subject matter, just realizing that these things happen. That's part of the stigma. You know, it's seen as such a bad thing. Oh, no, that's happened to, to, to that person. But it's, it's a normal thing and we have to normalize it. Well, you know, I was listening to a video that, that you uh, put out, and you mentioned that music was therapy for you, and mm -hmm. that oftentimes the emotions you weren't able to talk about, you were able to write about and sing about in your music, and that was an yeah. outlet for you, which a lot of musicians, you know, the first time they picked up a guitar or got into music was sometimes during a difficult time in life where they needed that outlet. When you look back, was that true for you? Yeah, absolutely. Even before I knew that I was writing on purpose to, to, to help to get things out and to use it as a form of therapy, I was already doing that. And I might in the past have, have buried things a lot more. But nowadays, I, I try and make it uh, as clear, I suppose, as possible. But I, I now know more that is a form of therapy for me. It, it is a way to 
to get across thoughts that I definitely have struggled with and internalizing it and finding it difficult to talk to people with, you know, and, and even talk to people incredibly close to me about these things. Um, that's something that's really, really helped me. And looking back, you're dead right. It's, it's definitely something that I've always done. And, and then sometimes I might have gone and, and, and let off every ounce of steam inside me on stage or, or gone into a studio and screamed my lungs out or, you know, you know, something like that until, until I felt like the emotion was coming across and I, and I maybe let it out. I mean, I know there's all sorts of forms of, of release and, and, and therapy in which people do things, you know, people might want to go for a run or they might want to go and cook a meal or something like that. For me, even just the act of singing is, is something that is really, really helpful for me. You know, I'm always curious because um, musicians seem to feel a lot more comfortable letting their emotions out in their music, let's say, opposed to talking about it, even with a friend or a therapist. Why do you think it's easier to let it out in music opposed to, you know, your own words? There's probably a few reasons, and, and, I, and I, I'm not sure that I, I'll get any of these entirely correct, and I'm not sure there's a, a right or wrong answer here, but it's sometimes easier. I mean, firstly, this is what I do. It's what I've always done. You know, singing and, and music is, is something that I feel incredibly comfortable with. Songwriting is something that, I, that I've always loved and have always used as a form of expression. You know, when I, when I do tackle something that is, that is difficult to talk about, it's like a natural form of, of, of doing that for me. It's something that just comes naturally. So that, in turn, it makes it easier not that talking's not natural for me as well. I suppose that's something I've been doing a while too. But there's also a, almost a veil of secrecy there a little bit in a song. It's, it's, it's something to hide behind. It can be less confronting. You know, I could write a song and, and, and there's still an aura of secrecy about it. You know, you might not immediately think I'm writing about myself or you might not know exactly what it is I'm talking about or I can just use a lot of metaphor and things like that and, and hide things in it. So I suppose... It becomes a little bit of a safety blanket in a sense. It's mm. it's a way to say these things that we're, we're possibly internalizing, but we've still got a little bit of something to hold on to. It's not as raw and as open as, as me saying to you, I'm suffering from depression and anxiety. Or, you know, that, that is even just saying that right now felt really, really confronting to me. But if I wrote that in a song, it wouldn't feel that way as much anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I... And that was a great explanation. It's funny because you mentioned Secrets and you actually have an album uh, called Secrets. Uh -huh. And this collab EP is kind of a reimagined uh -huh. version of Secrets, right? With, with the same songs, but you're collaborating with different artists. That's right. Uh, but on that album, there was a song called Tell Me What You're Running From. How do you relate to those words? What are you running from? So the, the whole idea around that song was, was about being honest with myself. And, and, and that's the beauty of music as well. It's like I, I might write something for myself, but I know it's, it's there for everyone else and, and that they can, they can take from it what they will. It's going to mean something different to me, but it's also going to mean something different to you. For me, it was about just trying to be honest with myself. Like you're allowed to quit. You're allowed to do whatever you want. But just make sure you're honest with yourself as to why, why it is that you're doing those things. That was what the lesson was for, for myself. Really just trying to, you know, be honest with why you're making these particular decisions and whatever those decisions might be, rather than kind of hiding behind any sort of excuse or, 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 or thing like that, you know, being 
honest with yourself was was re- really the, the the road I was trying to go down with that one. I see. You know, you talked about depression yeah. and how anxiety can sometimes spiral into depression. Uh-huh. Can you give me some of the symptoms that you had? And actually, when did you first start to notice? Like, how old were you when you first started to notice symptoms of anxiety and depression? I mean, it's hard for me to narrow down an age or anything like that. From a very, very, very young age, I had very high expectations of myself. I've, I've always been an entertainer and I've always been a performer. And I always had this real overriding urge to, to be the best. And the, the older I've got, the, the more I've started to realize that's not necessarily a thing that actually exists in any way, shape or form. You know, I, I come from a small town in New Zealand, which on a global scale is, is, is tiny. And I always liked the fairy tale idea that I could come from this place and, and be the best. And I'm not even really sure what, what I've envisaged. It's really just success. And I always really drove myself to be very, very successful in, in, in whatever it was that I was doing, whether it was music or, or acting or sports or, or anything like that. And I think there comes a point where that pressure just starts to really take its toll on you. And a lot of that pressure was, was coming from myself. I was always relatively good at dealing with it, but I, I, looking back now, there was a lot of anxiety, whether it's around, you know, just a performance or it's around exams at high school, whether it's around any of it. And, and a lot of that anxiety always came from me, not, not from the fear of the actual thing itself, not from the fear of the performance or the fear of the exam or the fear of the, the sports game or whatever. It was more around the, the, the fear of, of doing well. I didn't want to just do it i wanted to be the best at it uh that's that's when the anxieties that i probably face and and sleepless nights and really worrying about all those sorts of things and then obviously the 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 depression that can come with failure and i think as as musicians and entertainers that's something that we deal with a lot and and i know failure is like a broad term because it can be so subjective and objective but it's something that it's going to go hand in hand with, with anyone who's putting themselves out there or, or working in an industry where, you know, you're open to judgment and you're open to not being received overly well or being received in a lesser way than what your expectations may be. Um, so looking back, that that's something I probably always had to deal with. And, and I certainly can, can remember, it, especially the anxiety that came with it and, and how crippling that could be. You know, you mentioned an anxiety attack. And quite a few musicians have panic attacks. Yeah. I was wondering, what does that look like to you? Do you have panic attacks or anxiety attacks? Yeah, I think like anxiety attacks for me, they generally come when, when I feel like things have built up so much and, and, I, and I feel like there's so many things going on that I, that I need to do or, or, or that it gets to the point where I feel like it's, it's getting out of my control. I was never a big list writer. I would generally just keep tasks in my head and I would tick them off as I'd go and I would just really rely on my memory and, 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 and ability to, to get these things done and get them done quickly. Uh, so I think the most prominent anxiety attacks for me is when I feel like these, this pile of things, this metaphorical pile of, of tasks that I have to get done, whether it be you know, things that I've got to tick off for the band for getting releases happening or work stuff at home or, you know, pressures with my, with, with having to get stuff done for the family. Once that piles up and gets so intense, I get to this point where I feel like I just can't cope anymore. And it, um, I've at this breaking point of, 
I can't do all this. I cannot do it. What am I going to do? How do I get this done? I can't just, how do I achieve this? And it just becomes this all consuming thing, which then becomes so difficult because I mean, I've got two kids now. I can't just break down and, and just stop. <laughs> Let me tell you, I raised two daughters while yeah. working full time, you know, the whole thing. And so I totally understand like the roller coaster of emotions and so many unexpected things that can happen, you know, with your career, with your kids, your family. Yeah. I mean, so many things that we have to juggle at one time. And when you talk about depression, I mean, it, it's immobilizing when you get to that point because Absolutely. you're so overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden you get to a point where uh, you feel like you, you know, can't be as productive because it's uh -huh. got to a depression. Can you think of a dark period of your life where maybe there was a failure or something that happened that sunk you into, you know, a really bad place mentally? Yeah, I mean, there's been lots of them. It's just the life of an entertainer. I had a period, a particularly low period. One of my last bands had, had broken up and then uh, I helped a, a really close friend of mine write a stage show. He was writing Romeo and Juliet into a rock opera and I did that. And then I hit this, this kind of patch in my career where I just had nothing. And I just felt like I was sliding into failure and and there was nothing going on and I couldn't create anything and I didn't know what the next thing was that I was looking for. And, and I started to feel that this really low point of, of having nothing. And, and what was I going to do? You know, music was my life and entertaining was my life. And I didn't really know where to turn or, or how to kick that off. And I remember a particular day sitting in my car and looking in the mirror and just feeling like the sparkle had disappeared from my eyes. And I know that's a kind of weird thing to say. And I actually, um, wrote about that in a lyric in one of our earlier songs it's called lights and there's a line that says you're left searching for the sparkle in your eye and i think that was kind of a, a strange turning point i remember crying in the car going the spark was even gone from my eye now what am i going to do it was it was a really strange moment but it's one that i find weirdly prominent it was certainly a bit of a moment where i went it wasn't one of those incredible scenes in a movie where you go, this is, this is the, the turning point and now I, everything's going to go great. It was just a moment that I remember having kind of slumps as far as, as I felt in, it, internally. Yeah, that, but it's something that happens, I mean, relatively often. My job is to, to write music that bears my soul, I suppose, and then release it out to the world. And, you know, I, I, there might be a hundred comments that, that say on a song and 99 of them might be that they love it or think it's incredible. But I, I always remember the one negative one, you know, like we should be focusing on the 99 positive ones, but yet I don't know whether it's just me or whether it's everyone, but it's like I'm built to, to fixate on the, on the negative, which is, you know, it's not what I like to, think that I'm about, but it's so hard not to. <laughs> well, I think also I can admit that I have this pressure that I put on myself. And, you know, my dad used to say being perfect is boring. <laughs> and I, I think about that sometimes, but putting that pressure on yourself, you know, after a while, we all realize that we make mistakes, whether we like it or not. And how have you learned to cope with those situations, you know, where you have to pick yourself up and you've got to continue? What is it that you do to try to cope with those feelings? 
in recent times, I've really started to notice, like, if if things start to pile up, and I, and I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed with with everything that I have to get done, to the point where I can feel the anxiety really creeping creeping up, or, or getting stronger and stronger about what it is that I need to do. I found that, um, and I, and I kind of almost started to mention it before that I'd never been big at uh, writing lists, and I've recently realized that if I can slow things down and I can write a list of everything that I need to get done so I don't forget stuff. Um, and if I start focusing on one task at a time and taking them off, rather than being really frantic and jumping around and trying to get everything done at once and freaking out that there's too much to do, if I can tick one off at a time, I can go, all right, that's done. And now this list doesn't seem as big and you can slowly start to tick it off. It can just be so hard, I, I've found in the, in the past, to, to slow things down and just breathe and relax and sort of work on ticking off a task at a time until, until the mountain doesn't seem so mountainous, you know, <laughs> but it, it is something that has helped a lot for me recently. And, and my, my notes on my computer are just full of lists now, which is, is so strange for me. It was never a part of my personality or something that I did. I think, you know, as time goes on, we, we develop different techniques and we try uh -huh. so many different things to help us deal with things like feeling overwhelmed. And I do think it really helps to write things down on a piece of paper, something so simple, because it takes it out of our heads and puts it on paper. So we don't have to spiral and think about it, you know, a hundred times. And then checking it off is a visual thing that you could see that said, I accomplished this. I don't have to think about it anymore. Uh -huh. So it's a simple thing, but it's really um, effective. That's absolutely right. It's certainly something that started to work for me, which has been great. Yeah, you know, when you think about mental health, you could think about so many different solutions. Some people use nutrition or a lifestyle change. They might try therapy, uh, medication. They might even try to um, self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. Uh -huh. I mean, what else have you tried that has either worked or not worked for you? I think the, the the biggest thing for me is is generally music and it's getting on stage and, and getting out as much as I possibly can. During times in which I've I've spiraled, I probably found myself partying too much. I mean there were slightly different times when I didn't have two children and it and a hangover hurts way more now. Um but <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not sure it was essentially that I was I suppose it was medicating in a sense. I, I've always loved to party. I've always been a really loud, extroverted person who loves being around people. Um, but when you are feeling down and you are feeling like you're missing something, you can go to try and replace that with partying and, and being out and being around lots of people and drinking and doing all sorts of things. But there, there comes a point when you start to realize how, how vacuous that can be as well. And it was probably times in my life where I have tried to medicate myself or help to help to feel happier about whatever I was doing by you know going out and, and and partying and I'm not saying that partying is bad by any stretch of the imagination but there obviously can come a point where things like that can get self-destructive and I and I started at times to, to feel like I was living this vacuous life that didn't mean a hell of a lot and it, and it was probably because I was doing that more than actually trying to to be productive and get things done to make myself feel better. So once again, it, it's just really just to, sort of talking about these things that become vicious cycles, you know, doing something to fill some hole that then leaves you feeling worse. And it just goes around and round and round until you can work out how to 
get off the train, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, you know, you talk about your wife and your two kids and how life is different from the single life, the partying life. Uh-huh. How has being married and having your children, when you look at your life today, how does that support your mental health? My wife's actually a trained psychotherapist, which is oh. is, is, is quite quite How convenient. <laughs> yeah, not not that I don't think she's ever tried to tried to. Well, I mean, she's probably spent our, our entire existence together trying to fix me and change me. But um, <laughs> I'm kidding. She'll okay. hear that and be absolutely horrified. But I've noticed a lot in myself that my wife levels me out a lot. You know, I've I've got two kids now, and they're up at six thirty every morning, but naturally i will sit up all night and watch something or you know have another drink or just get carried away and other stuff whereas my wife helps to level out some of my bad habits that are probably self-destructive and, and not necessarily you know trying to, to to destruct myself but she helps to negate a few of my tendencies that i will naturally lean towards and it's not it's not to be that she would be taking away something that I enjoy. It's probably really helping me to survive. <laughs> what um, are some actually, of those what are some of those things? Like predominantly that I will stay up, that I I, I won't go to sleep. I'll I'll stay up all night and, and, and watch things or do things or I'll work on more stuff or I'll go and, you know, clear all the emails that I was meant to do rather than sleep. And then the next day I wake up at six, you know, the kids get up at 6.30 and it's, you're gone again. You know, that just cumulatively gets worse and worse. I mean, because you just end up so tired. You know, one of the other things is, you know, I, you know, I stopped smoking because of um, my wife and my, and my children. Mm -hmm. Stop smoking cigarettes. That's something that I, I know within myself that if my wife and my kids weren't here, I would absolutely still be doing that. And I know it's bad for me. And I know it's it's something that I shouldn't do, but it's only really because they're there that I don't do it, um, which is it's such a strange thing to say, probably an indictment upon myself in, in certain ways. But it's basically what I'm trying to get across is that these people have changed me for the better and have, have helped me curb some of the, 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 the tendencies that I have that are probably not so good. Mm. Well, that's nice to acknowledge that. And, you know, healthy relationships do that. And I'm sure there are really positive things that you bring to the relationship that has changed your wife and kids that make it a much more so. beautiful, beautiful <laughs> life. <laughs> I'd hope so. I'm not sure they'll say that, though. <laughs> well, now that the world is opening up, fans are going back on tour. And uh, sometimes the good habits that we have developed even during the pandemic we've developed a new routine at home sometimes goes out the window when we go on tour what are some things that you would like to do to make mental health a priority while you're on tour with your band so my my voice is a big part of my life you know if i, if I can't sing I, i'm kind of screwed and not just mentally but physically as well you know if i if i can't sing then i can't do a show and if i if i can't do a show then there's there's issues and that that really plays on my mental health so i i know that when my voice is is, is not going so well when i don't feel so good vocally that that really does start to bring me down i get anxious i get depressed i get all sorts of things because of that so for me going out on tour you know it's it's trying to make sure that when i finish a set that i'm not staying out and partying with with everyone till four in the morning because I know that my voice isn't going to pull through. It's going to be tired and it's going to be rough. And, you know, 
it'll just get worse and worse as the tour goes on. So it's about reminding myself and, and actually just being strong-willed enough to, to curb my, my natural uh, instinct to go and party with everyone and be the life of the party. Uh, and, and, you know, go, you know what, I can sit this one out and go to bed and, and make sure that the show tomorrow is amazing. Because if I do go out and party, there's, there's definitely going to be a chance that my voice isn't going to work the next day. And then that's really going to mess with my mental health because I'm going to be stressed. I'm going to be anxious. And then I'm going to be depressed because I can't sing as well as I should. And I'm not going to deliver what I want to do for the fans. That, that's a big one. It's about being strong-willed, about curbing my natural instincts to just go and stay out all night and party with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. It takes discipline for sure. Oh, uh, huge. Yeah, you know, you and the band have become mental health advocates for your fans, for the music industry. And although mental health is being talked about more in the industry, what do you think can be done better uh, in regards to mental health? The most important part is being able to, to, to normalize these things and being able to talk about it. I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, reaching out to people if you're feeling down, but also not waiting for someone to reach out to you if you feel that they should. But I think we can not necessarily fix all that, but if we can change that and we can make this a normal thing that people go, you know what, I'm not doing so well today. That's going to go a long way to helping people because if we can pull the stigma away and not make people feel demonized by the fact that, that they're going through these things, then it's, it's going to be in, in, incredibly helpful. The music industry is a particularly tricky one because our our job is a piece of our soul in a song and then give it to the world and, and let them do what they will with it and trample on it in, in, in a lot of regards. So, you know, the, it, it's it's such a tough industry to, to protect yourself in because you are giving these, these very important things of yourself to the world. And, and with online now, people are willing to say whatever the hell they want and in and, and, and some cases will just troll in the sense that they're happy to say negative things just to hurt people because it's it's faceless there's a lot that needs to be done in supporting musicians to be able to to be able to kind of let that go and and i find that hard and i mean i've always had a relatively thick skin but i still find it difficult that i can see everyone's comments you know in a, in a world in which we didn't have you know comment sections and things like that it was a lot harder to hear the noise about what people were saying positively or negatively about you, but it's all, it's all there out in the open now. So it's, it's, it's something that we have to look at to, to support musicians within the industry to be able to deal with that. And I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I do know that if we can start to, to normalize and destigmatize mental health issues, we will be able to really bring about some positive change. I think. I agree. I agree. And I know that your band is work with mental health organizations like I Am Hope and Bring People Dancing. Mm -hmm. uh, would you be open to working with other organizations in the name of mental health or do you have plans to do that for the future? Oh, big time. Since the band's realized that this is something that we want to be a part of, we'll work with anyone that will help us. If it, if it means we can get a message out there, you know, I don't necessarily think we're going to change the world, but if we can help to change someone's world, I think that's quite important. I mean, the big reason for the, for this EP that we've talked about, the collab project, it it all came about because we wanted to 
make our own mental health initiative that will start to help with with, with the, the whole idea being about normalizing these issues and being able to talk about them. And that's why we've we've gone to to all these these incredible artists like Kellen and, and like Trenton Woodley of Hands Like Houses and Sonny Sandoval of POD and gone, look, being, get involved with this. Can you, you know, can you please lend your incredible voice to these songs? It's a little bit more than the music. And the whole idea is about being able to reach out and connect with people. You know, the collab project is there's so much room for us to work with various organizations around the world and, and, and what we can try and do. And if there's anything that we can do to use our voice to lend hand to, to anyone doing this amazing work, then, you know, we will be there and we will do whatever we can in our power to, to, to help and get these messages out there. Thank you so much for that, because it really does make a difference. I mean, it sounds corny to say, you know, if you can change one life, but one life could have been Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park or yeah, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden or anybody, one of your fans out in the audience. I mean, everybody's life is important. And Probably. once they know that there's hope and someone like yourself has figured out solutions to deal with anxiety and depression, that they can go out and find their own solutions and we have our website, checkyourheadpodcast.com, where we have over 110 different organizations and nonprofits, Incredible. apps, you know, telehealth, so that people, once they realize they need help, they can start trying different solutions to see what works for them, because everybody's different. And the cause of mental health can be so many different reasons. So you've got to really find out what the core of the reason is. Oh, absolutely. And and that's just it. You know, we're all different. And your version of, 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 of a mental health struggle is probably different to mine. Our chemical makeup is different. So something that will work for me is not necessarily going to work for everyone. And I definitely don't have the answers for how to, how to fix these things. But I do know that if we can talk about it, then people are going to feel more comfortable trying to find their own solutions. They're going to seek help. Whatever it is that that helps you get through these things and, and helps you find your ability to talk or seek help, whether it be music, whatever it is, use it, use whatever you can, because th these things are normal. Let's, let's make them normal. That's a huge part of, of what it is that we need to do here is, is, is make people understand that they're not, they're not broken. They're not wrong. They're not weak. Let's stop beating ourselves up about them and, and give yourself a break. You know, it's, it's just, it's something that we need to, we need to talk about and we need to fix together. Right, right. And it's not their fault, but no. it is their responsibility to find help. That's right. And oftentimes it does take open energy to do that. So thank yeah. you for providing that because that is what you are providing is hope, which is so important. Next, Kat Jensen and I will talk about perfectionism and how this can often derail musicians, yet if recognized, can be tamed to help you reach your goals. Kat Jensen is a musician, formerly of the band Love Toys, living with mood disorders, and currently achieving her dream of getting her college degree. Now let's hear Kat Jensen and I talk about the dangers of perfectionism. Well, today we have Kat Jensen, one of my favorite friends and musicians. Welcome, Kat. Hey, Mari. How are you? It's so great to be here. And before we get started, I know that we have congratulations in order for you and for Check Your Head Mental Health for Musicians on the People's Choice Award. I'm so happy that the message is getting out to those that really can use it. Thank you so much. I mean, I was really thrilled. But today we're going to be talking about uh, perfectionism. 
And Michael Murphy of Written by Wolves really talked a lot about how perfectionism kind of creeps into his day-to-day work. A lot of the perfectionism that he has dealt with has caused him to be successful in his craft. It has given him motivation to pursue, to hone his craft as a musician. The downside, though, is that there are parts of perfectionism where it becomes large. It becomes so big, like the volume becomes so loud that it's almost like you get this distorted feedback going in your head, and now you get paralyzed. So it's a matter of honing that, bringing the volume down, and being able to see a bit more clearly and help that become a tool, not something that's going to get in your way. Right. We're going to talk about the dangers of perfectionism. And one of the things that Michael talked about is if you have this desire to be the best all the time, that's a very high goal, especially when learning something new uh, is built on making mistakes. I mean, to me, making mistakes, once we think about those and try to figure out what is going to work. It's almost like a building block toward getting to your goal. That's true. That's an interesting thing that you point out because for you, you have a very fluid mindset. You have what we call a growth mindset. And that allows people to look at challenges and be able to say, okay, well, maybe this didn't work this time, but something better is around the corner. They can become more optimistic about growing from what they've just gone through. But see, many people are wired with a fixed mindset. And oftentimes people who have perfectionism have more of a fixed mindset. They tend to feel that the talent is inborn. It's sort of, you you know, part of you. So fixed mindsets tend to look at every criticism. They have a very hard time growing from what they've learned. They focus more on the negativity that comes from it because they feel they should be already great. They should already be able to hit these high milestones or these benchmarks that they have in their minds. And like you said, you can never get to that um, point because it's so... elevated, it's unrealistic. Right. And then if you always have that goal of having everything turn out perfectly, which it never does, whenever something happens, then all that negative talk starts to, you know, come into your head like, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid. What a fool I am. I can't believe I did that. And you just go down a downward spiral. The other thing, too, is that when you're in a creative field, you can go on forever to perfect or change or add something, take something out. So that's why it's so important to have deadlines. Deadlines are a fantastic strategy to finally say, you know, I'm going to give it this much attention and then I'm not going to worry my head anymore and go from there. Uh, I love the idea of setting up lists if you have to, because you might have a million things you're worried about, and then it becomes overwhelming. It's one big, huge thing. So the idea is to break things down into more doable pieces, right? That eases the anxiety that goes along with it too. 
Well, it also takes out all of the worry from your head. I mean, I know that I wake up in the middle of the night, can't get to sleep. You're worrying. You're thinking about things. Maybe you have ideas. Putting them all down on paper, it has it so that you can start checking those items off. And Michael says that he uses these lists, and I do too. It's such a simple thing, but every time you see something marked off, it does feel like um, accomplishment. You can feel yourself moving towards your goal. Sure. Absolutely. I keep what I call a general journal. It's just filled with all kinds of things. I have an external place to put thoughts or feelings or even pieces of songs or I just put everything down into this and I keep it by my bed because I do wake up in the middle of the night often with these traveling thoughts and just jotting them down can give you a little sense of relief like you've got it somewhere. Yeah. So the dangers of perfectionism. One thing about procrastination, if you're always thinking about the failure that can happen with a mistake, it just makes you not want to do it right? You're just trying to avoid that because you know inevitably there is going to be a mistake. That can be very, very terrifying, especially with anybody that not only has issues with perfectionism, but may have some social anxiety. Making sure that everybody thinks everything's great is so important. So they take any criticism very tough, especially in this business, because I mean, there's some real things to be worried about out there. When you're a musician, you're vulnerable. You're you're out there on stage. You've got your original music. And within seconds, the audience is going to decide whether they like you or they don't. And and if it's a good night or and everything's going, that's fantastic. But there's always the fear of another night that where things aren't right and you got to keep up face and you're worried about what people are going to think. And sometimes those feelings are so overwhelming that someone will say, screw it. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to take that gig. And it can become to the point to where people are very talented and then they isolate. They don't want to do more. So the procrastination may look like laziness. It might look like you don't care. It might look like you'd rather go party. It might look like those things. But the underlying current is that fear of failure and the anxiety that it brings on. And indecisiveness is another thing. I used to be with somebody who had this perfectionism personality, and he would always want me to make the decisions. And after a while, it gets tiring. But it's because, you know, if something goes wrong with that decision, the blame or the punishment they perceive in their mind is not on them. It's on somebody else. Right? It's all your fault now. (laughs) Yeah. But another danger is they put limits on their life because they tend to do the same things over and over because they know the outcome. They know how to do it. And when they're presented with something new, there could be a freak out period or, you know, anger because they don't want to go through the process of making mistakes to finally learn how to do something new. Right. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of critical thinking in there when it comes to people with these tendencies can often have trouble in relationships because they bring that critical element to the table where nothing will satisfy them. 
even though they may not be making the decision, they've left it to you. They're going to criticize the decision that you've made. Because mm-hmm. again, there's perfectionism that can't be met. Or they may be putting their perfectionist ways onto you, expecting you to also have that attitude of perfectionism. And that's a lot of anxiety and a lot of pressure. You know, sometimes kids grow up with parents that may be giving them love or attention by their achievements, opposed to who they are as as kids, or maybe they're being severely punished because of a mistake that anyone can make. I mean, these are things that can happen where, you know, these fear of failure is kind of embedded early on. But yes, relationship problems could definitely happen. All of this anxiety or anger and fear can come out to the other person. And it's usually the people closest to us that we love the most because there's a trust there. Yeah, there, it's a safer place to be, isn't it? Because we've learned that. Well, they'll still accept me, you know, they'll forgive me, or, you know. And I know that Michael talked about his wife and kids not wanting to be a disappointment, but yet allowing his emotions and, and his perception of perfectionism get in the way of the, the healthy relationships at home. When things didn't go right, he was irritable. And these things would come out to the people that you love. One thing that I started to do with my boyfriend to kind of encourage the positive, because, you know, human nature, we tend to fix it on the negative. And Michael talked about that too. It's like the one social media comment that was negative, he's thinking about that opposed to the hundred that he got that was positive. So what we've been doing is we start off talking about something that we enjoyed about our day, something positive, but also something that we were proud of that we did, whether it's work or play or with somebody else, just something so that we could feel good about ourselves. Because I do think a lot of these issues come from really not loving ourselves for who we are. With all the flaws and all the good and all the bad and all the terrible stuff that happens in our lives, to accept all of that. We also talk about any fears or concerns or just topics in general. I mean, a topic could be an upcoming vacation or it could be a fear like I'm afraid of what's going to happen next year when when you go on tour and I'm going to be here alone, you know, things like that. And then also ending with something that we appreciate about each other. And it could be something very simple, like you made such an amazing dinner for me tonight when you knew I was under pressure with this deadline, and I really appreciate that. It shows me how much you care and love me. Right. So now we're focusing on another thing that we can do that can give some positive reinforcement, right? We, And that's a really good tool to have in your toolbox as well. Changing that critical voice. And all it takes is are these these positive affirmations. And believe me, these can have such a significant uh, impact on, on your daily life. Anywhere from helping to challenge those negative thoughts that come into your mind, you're going to come back and say, you know what, screw you, quit telling me I can't do this. I can do this. I can do this well, and I'm good enough. And whatever I do is enough. So use affirmations towards yourself for that critical voice. Use the positive affirmations towards your 
family, your loved ones, so that you gain support. Because support is so ultimately important. We need to keep things on the positive side because we do tend to go toward the negative. So these little things might seem funny, might seem silly, that I'm going to talk back to myself that way, but they work. And so if, if you have something in your life that can work, just keep doing it. Keep doing it because you're going to form new neural pathways in your brain that are going to support all of the positivity. Most of us go down the negative route so long that the synapses in our brain, they continually go down that same pathway and the old tapes just keep going and you go back right through that cycle. Just the cycle mm -hmm. of depression, anxiety, perfectionism, all of it that, that's like a chicken or egg routine here. I'm telling you, I can do this so well that, uh, I mean, my head gets so scrambled up. It's like, I've got nothing but scrambled eggs in my head. <laughs> because I can make an omelet and you know, breaking it down, positive thinking. That makes perfect sense. And the thing that I really loved about what you said is to create new ways of, of thinking, because we get so caught up in the automatic loop that happens that it's almost like a fish swimming upstream to continue to practice, to uh, be positive, be encouraging, be supportive. I mean, I love telling my friends what I love about them, what I really appreciate about them. And you wouldn't believe how many are so surprised and shocked. Uh, you do do that. <laughs> uh, you get it with me too. And I just, I love it. So it feels really good on both ends. So another one that we want to talk about is danger is the health problems that could happen when all of this stress uh, builds in our life. We talked about insomnia, you know, headaches. We talked about mood disorders, also physical disorders like heart disease and diabetes. But one thing I really want to talk about is how stress causes this elevation of cortisol causes this adrenaline in our bodies that's not supposed to be there 24-7. It's supposed to be there for those moments that we really need it when we need to run away from a speeding car that's about to hit us. It's that fight or flight when you're about to encounter a bear or something, you know. It goes way back to what's ingrained in us, probably evolutionary because there was a time when man did have to fight all of those things. But now if your body doesn't know the difference between whether a bear's chasing us or the tour's all screwed up because of COVID or whatever it is, you know? Right. And then <laughs> one after the other, like you're rehearsing and then something goes bad with rehearsal. You're thinking about your family, being away from them. There's so many things that keep us with this go, go, go life that even if we're having a good time, this adrenaline and cortisol that's coursing through our bodies for too long starts to build up. And that's when people burn out. And burnout could look like anxiety, can look like a panic attack, can look like depression. And it's almost your body's way of saying, you know what, I've had enough. We're going to put you down for a while until you can get better. Yeah, forces you to stop, right? I mean, sometimes stress is one of these things where we don't always know 
the degree it might be affecting us. Some people live off of stress. They love to get out there, be the, the life of the party, like Michael said, or get out there and just run, 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 do everything. But that stress can build up and we don't realize what's happening within our own bodies. We don't hear what the message is until it smacks us in the face. So, yeah, and cortisol is basically a hormone. It's a hormone that everybody secretes, but the levels can just get too high when you're under chronic stress and something's going to explode. And hopefully it's not your heart or you become diabetic or you have a stroke or you, I mean, these are all things that are really attached to the lack of being able to recognize and deal effectively in a healthy way stress because we live in a society where sometimes stress is rewarded oh i worked overtime and i got this big project or let's work harder let's go you know and and not being able to 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 recognize that your body needs to be nurtured but you got to learn how to take care of yourself and recognize the signs and making your physical and mental health a priority because that really is the foundation of your life a big foundation. And we talked about professional therapy, but there are other kinds of therapy that we can uh, utilize with our family, with our friends, with uh, maybe a mentor, someone that we admire how they're living their life. Talking things out and talking things through with people really is a wonderful way to vent and to get advice from someone else and also an opportunity to share your story and what's really going on in your life. I mean, these, these hiccups and sometimes tornadoes in our life can really be the, the things that can help bond us together. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we all know that going through something difficult with somebody and getting through the other side and getting better, there's a special bond that happens. Mm-hmm. And people really appreciate honesty vulnerability. It's its really the glue that connects us. And it could be really with anyone. Yeah. And it's important to point out here too, that when we are not coping with things in a healthy way, it's very easy to isolate. Isolating yourself is definitely a big sign. And you want to realize that if I start doing that, maybe it's time to get out of my comfort zone and find a friend, talk to someone. Actually, there are support groups out there. And just allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to get out and just mingle and get the focus off yourself and realize that other people are dealing with these things too. It can help you realize that you're not that alone. So find your way of gaining connection. Find your way of gaining support. 12-step programs are wonderful. Listen, you don't have to be an alcoholic to practice the 12 steps. There's a lot of principles in there that are great. There's 12 steps for everything. It can help get you connected with others that are feeling similar feelings. And this can get you out of yourself and get you in a better place. And, you know, one thing that you said about support groups, there is something really special that happens when you are able to help somebody else. And then also when you're able to accept help from somebody else, there's a great energy that happens. To me, it's like the circle of life. Being able to give help and receive help. 
because um, we yeah. all need help. And, you know, we, we can't know everything. And when it comes to a mood disorder, we really want to hear from people that have had experience or from professionals who also have experience with others in uh, different treatments and therapies. I mean, for myself, therapies helped a great deal. There are millions of things that you could do. But it just takes the one thing is your willingness to step out there into the unknown and to do it. Right. And to expect that, you know what, we're going to make mistakes and mistakes are the building block of success and to accept ourselves for who we are and that we all have flaws in some way. And those flaws make us beautiful. Those flaws connect with each other. And to me, it's the color of life to be able to uh, see all the good, see the bad and try to make the best of our lives and accept and love each other for who we are. Exactly. Let's rev up that toolbox. (laughs) A big thank you to our musical guest, Michael Murphy of Written by Wolves, and our musician health expert, Kat Jensen. For more information on Written by Wolves and to purchase the Collab Project EP, visit writtenbywolves.com, follow the band on their socials, at Written by Wolves, and stay tuned to hear a clip of Help Me Through the Night, featuring Kellen Quinn of Sleeping with Sirens. So until next time, be brave. Ask for help and be persistent in finding the mental help that you need. podcast is kindly supported and partnered with Sweet Relief Musicians Fund, DBSA San Gabriel Valley, Earshot Media, and Lemon Tree Studios in Los Angeles. Visit CheckYourHeadPodcast.com where we have over 100 solutions for mental health. Be our friends on social media at CheckYourHeadPodcast. Watch us on YouTube and support us with a kind donation on CheckYourHeadPodcast.com. Check Your Head Podcast is sponsored by a 501c3 nonprofit with all donations being tax deductible. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening. <laughs>